Hi everyone, welcome to the Future Shoes podcast and this is the fourth in our mini series. As part of our podcast, we're looking at what will residential development look like along the South Coast in 2030 um, by exploring various topics which represent the life cycle of development, such as finding sites, building design, planning constraints and sales to end users. Um, As part of this, we're bringing our crystal balls to the table to see what challenges are likely to be on the horizon in 2030 and what actions developers may take to deal with such challenges in the future. My name is Georgina Massey. I'm a senior associate in the Solent office at Shoesmiths with a focus on residential development, mainly dealing with site acquisition and strategic land. I'm joined by Steve Culpit from Seawood Homes and my colleague Grace Mitchell, who I'd like to thank for giving up their time today in recording this podcast. First of all, please could you each introduce yourselves? Thank you, Georgie. Yep, Steve Colpitt, Managing Director of Seawood Homes. Uh, we're based in Chichester, West Sussex. We're an SME building between 50 and 100 uh, units a year. And we also promote a significant amount of land through the planning system. Thanks both. As you mentioned, my name is Grace Mitchell. I'm a senior associate in the planning team in the Southern office at Shoesmiths. And I deal with all sorts of planning and infrastructure issues which may arise for our clients, whether that be a developer, landowner or local authority. So final topic, the housing market. So I think as um, has been a running theme of the, the series, I've been putting quite big chunky topics on the table for us to break down in a very short period of time. We're looking here at the, in particular, the housing market on the South Coast for for new build residential plot sales. So, you know, we're narrowing the field here. But I mean, Steve, at the moment, how would you describe the market for that type of product? New homes are selling very, very well. Mm. Um, They're quite an easy way to get on the housing ladder for first time buyers because of the help to buy scheme which has changed significantly in the last 12 months. So mm. it's really focused at um, making new homes affordable to first-time buyers, which we think is uh, exceptionally good incentive. And it's worked very, very well for us mm. as it has for most uh, house builders. The um, stamp duty um, holiday helped significantly as well. But now that's come to an end and that uh, has seen a slowdown in the market. And that is generally probably bring the market back to where it, it used to be or should be. Um, as we all know, all you need is a government incentive, which uh, has to come to an end, which will fuel the market, then it will come to the abrupt stop. We haven't seen an abrupt stop. Mm. People are still buying housing. But uh, looking on the right move last night, there's certainly more uh, reductions, price reductions coming through. So obviously we've picked up with helped buy, there have been various government-backed loan incentives to stimulate new build sales, particularly for first-time buyers. But arguably, do you think they're less relevant for the South compared to the North, given the higher house prices in the South and the sort of caps you can get on loans under the help to buy scheme? I think the help to buy scheme is probably more useful here um based on average wages mm-hmm. i can't talk for other parts of the country i don't know what the average wage is but here the average wage is not as high as people think it is and housing is generally unaffordable we we are heavily influenced by the london market a lot of buyers to our properties um who are who are downsizing or moving out are coming from london 
although we have seen recently uh, a slight change with buyers coming from the Southampton and Portsmouth area coming in. But where you have an area where people generally would like to retire to, um, our demographic is, is more mature mm. and that just pushes prices up. Mm. So the affordability uh, for those trying to be in our area is, is, is silly. It's very, very high. So anything the government can do uh, to bring down uh, the cost of getting on the housing ladder, I think, uh, has been very well received. Very well received. And obviously, we've got schemes coming to an end soon. What would you like to see the government doing in 2030 in terms of incentives? It depends what our economic climate is like in 2030. Has the housing market uh, leveled out? Has it stopped rising um, very, very quickly? Um, the government has made it harder to have a second home now with a stamp mm. duty. Will the government bring in further restrictions on owning second houses? I saw uh, Wales last night were saying that they are looking very closely at second home ownership. You can go to parts of Cornwall and Devon where there's restrictions on who can buy housing there. Um, and that might be another way government can or local authorities can restrict who owns housing in the area. But Chichester, there is a lot of second homes here. But there's also a lot of holiday lets. Mm. And you've got to be careful that you don't stop that end of the market because that is a tourist generating, it's income generating, it brings money into the local authorities area. So you've got to balance lots of different types of housing mm. and what they're used for. Certainly if you just buy a house and use it two, year, two weeks a year because it's in a beautiful part of the countryside, it's probably not the best use of buying a home. So bringing Grace in, actually... I think there might be a potential planning angle here in terms of driving the, the housing market. You know, could there be changes to the, the planning system in terms of what needs to be delivered um, to bring new plots into the market and available to buy? Yeah, I think we, we touched on that as it, in uh, episode three, that's, but the onus is often on the developers and in, in how those issues are tackled. Um, Obviously, affordable housing has been around for a long time and that's not going anywhere anytime soon. So that's put on for the developer to deliver, to sort of take it away from the taxpayers. I think looking at the future, we're going to see a lot more in terms of, which again, we touched on previously as well, like deliverability in terms of the sustainable side of things is quite a lot of focus on that. But in terms of increasing, I guess, plot sales around this area, I think it was just, yeah, going back to the infrastructure and things as well, putting that all in place potentially you've got to build where people want to live yeah um it's and i i keep talking about placemaking um and placemaking is a well-known term in planning terms it means that you, you you go somewhere where people generally want to do there's a scheme not far from this building um called wellborn which is a garden village i'm a great supporter of wellborn i think it's a fantastic idea the land there okay it's farmland it's not used to its best extent and what they're proposing will be a destination. You can come to Wellborn and you can be fully integrated into an emerging community. And for me, I think that's what, what, what people will, will start looking at. They, they don't want to have to travel miles to do anything. Mm. Um, if everything's locally done, you've got a local vernacular, uh, the fenestration looks the same, and um, there's a sense, sense of openness and open space. I think that will drive better plot sales than um, trying to build as many houses as you possibly can in the best location. 
buyers are very savvy. They know they don't want that anymore. They don't want to stay at the bricks on the neighboring house. So I think you're absolutely right. I think what we just said, Grace, is that you've, if you if you place make and, and choose the right locations, that is going to be a better driver, much better driver. And talking just from the planning angle again, I think there's mention as well, in go back to the white paper again, about um, design. For example, using Wellborn as an example, Garden Village, they want bigger developments to come forward in the planning process, but then they want it to be built by several developers so they get this mix of development and it also comes forward at the same time so that they have this holistic approach, but on a local level. So Wellborn being a really good example of that. So we've got the master developer, um, Buckland, who's actually who we acted on the 106 for Wellborn. So, um, so yeah, that's a, we think it's fantastic development that's coming yeah. forward. Well, I'm with you. I think the, the, the master developer approach, and then the Prince Charles movies, Poundbury has tried this concept before. Um, I think lessons have been learned by Poundbury. I think either you like it or you hate it. Um, there are elements which you wouldn't do, I don't think, going forward, especially to meet um, the, the sense of community and wider open spaces. It's quite closed in there. If you want to find the best locations, they genuinely tend to be in quite sensitive areas. Mm. And if they are in sensitive areas, they tend to be in very well sought after areas, which means that if you build housing there, the price is going to go up. And is that delivering housing for the community? Because we look at the community as a whole. And as Grace, you touched on earlier with affordable housing, um, first homes initiatives coming out, they've got shared ownership, then you've got social rent, et cetera, et cetera. There's nothing new in all this. This was coming out in the fifties. They all had these ideas. Um, but generally the affordable housing providers are probably fine. They'll be putting more units into the housing market in 2030 mm-hmm. than us SMEs and maybe more the nationals because they are well-funded. They're not so uh, profit driven. And we, we foresee that they will be starting to buy more sites. I think they are around here. They're, They've got hold of some sites, which they will do market housing, et cetera, et cetera. I think generally the housing market may shift on new plots towards them. Yeah. So do you think we could potentially see a, a 60, 40% balance in favour of affordable housing for new developments, for example? Affordable housing. I'm an MD of a, of a house builder and I can't afford a shared ownership unit around yeah. here. Yeah. Okay, let's put this into perspective. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think you're right. I think it all comes down to land. How much is that landowner willing to give up their land for? Mm. And the housing market will always be fueled by the plot cost. How much does it physically cost to buy the piece of land the house sits on? Mm. And if that is high, then the house price will be high because you've got to buy the land, you've got to build it, and let's not go there with building materials at the moment. Well, bill costs and labour costs as well. Labour costs. Uh, new technologies coming in mm-hmm. um, and us developers we do actually have to make a profit and we also do have to pay our overhead mm-hmm. and it's not as much as people think and so that's why the house costs what it does mm-hmm. and but if a housing association can come in and say well the the element of profit is not it's not required uh, because we take all the such 106 units and we can give them open market units back we need to make a tickle on those so we, we cover overhead and put some money back in, into the system there might be that shift, might be that shift. Who knows, 2030. <laughs> Bringing us back on, on topic in terms of, you know, here we're drilling down at, at looking at the end product and the housing market. So, you know, we've touched on financial incentives, but again, I think it's that bigger picture. I think 
people want more than just um, like a, a tax incentive or a loan to get themselves or, you know, to buy a new build plot. I think there are other angles that we need to explore. So, for example, how important do you think sustainability incentives are going to be in 2030? Have you guys got any thoughts on that? In terms of what people are looking for now, Steve, obviously you touched on this um, earlier as well, is that they want, uh, if they're buying a new build, they want that new build to come with all the mod cons that will also last into the future and comply with the government's green agenda and environmental agenda going forward. And that needs to cover things such as, yeah, electricity and and the way that we run our houses um, the way that they're built, like you were saying earlier about fabric, um, and also things like charging points, which we've mentioned, um, where the house, come back again to placemaking, where the house is built, can they commute easily to work? Is the house livable for all areas of their life, including work, because obviously everyone's working from home now as well. So it's just there's just a lot more boxes to tick for people when they're looking at new builds, is my perspective on it. In terms of incentives, though, um, I think, yeah, somebody looking to buy a house would would have a sort of checklist of what's really important to them, and that will vary from person to person. Mm. Yeah, interesting because we've always found, because I haven't I used to work in agency as well, that most people who buy a new home genuinely live within 25 miles of the site. People genuinely know the area. Mm. Um, but we now hear, as I've said in a previous podcast, people coming to our marketing suites, they are generally asking more questions about sustainability, eco, um, costs and um, one of the other benefits of um, some rules coming out of course is that you've got to have a 10 meter garden can you put a home office in the back home offices were a bit of a pandemic fad I believe <laughs> we'll I come know. back to that <laughs> but again it's as Grace Rowley said it's down to individuals some people it works for some don't um, and a chum of mine started up a company selling um, and home offices, and they're amazing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought they're incredible. I think in depends what business you're in. In construction, um, probably be a bit left field here, saying I believe that communication is much better with everyone sitting in a room in construction. Have you seen this? Have you done that? Yes, done this. Have you done this? Have you done that? Oh my god, that, that brick has those bricks haven't turned up. Can you do something about it? If you do it all by email, it takes forever. Mm. So there are elements where, where it doesn't work. But to drive the housing market, as you rightly said, bring us back onto topic, lots of anything to do here. Um, I think the housing market will be definitely led by what you do to the houses to make them efficient and environmentally friendly. Our kids are much more on message than I think I am. I'm trying to be on message, but I grew up with Shawman Power Station you know, pumping out whatever it was and watching Wills or Gummidge and then tipping everything into the <laughs> hole in the ground, you know. So we, we, when you think about where we've come from in our lifetimes, how things have changed, I think the house buyers and the housing market will be heavily influenced by the environmental bits. And I, I mean, picking up from the sustainability angle from a personal perspective, you know, I am one of those that bought into that pandemic fad and I have had a very lovely um office garden built and actually um i would say now we're moving into more of a hybrid way of working it actually still works for us because both my husband and i work effectively part-time 
in that home office environment. And actually with the South Coast, and we've touched on house prices being as high as, high as they are. And if you live in the Chichester area, it's very difficult with um, you know average earnings as a younger person to, to be able to afford to live in the area. It's actually meant our house has been future-proofed a lot longer in terms of giving us much more space internally and actually i think there is still room for um incentives for new build houses in terms of making sure there is designated working from home space but i think it's going to depend on which product type you are pushing so for example if it's a flat where you're thinking it's you know the the younger generation initial workforce um, you know, white collar workers who are likely buying those, then I think that would be appropriate to have a home working space in there internally. So not just your box second bedroom, but actually something that works. And you might find that actually you will have um, some house designs for families um, where actually it's not necessarily appropriate to have that office space because they will be out and about for work and they need rooms unlocked for for children, their families, but then you might find that you will still need to have some sort of family house product on offer, which still has that separate office space or effectively maybe a garage or something that they could easily convert in the future. It's funny that you say that as well, because I think as well, a couple of years ago, it was a real focus on open plan design. And now people seem to be moving to more actual rooms where they want to be able to shut the door on their kids because they've all been at home so much the last couple of years. So That's a fair point. We've noticed that some um, local authorities are removing development rights, so you can't put anything in the garden. Mm. So that needs, to, that needs to filter through down into the planning system as well. You shouldn't remove development rights just like that because you are restricting. But here's one I'm going to chuck in the mix. In 2030, will the buying generation actually want to buy a house? Yeah, because I mean, it's we'll quite. We do. It's quite. I mean, a lot. Of, quite a lot of European countries are a complete rented market, aren't they? Um, and we've got such a focus on owning our property. So I think they will. I I think I think it will move from that just because people can't can't afford it, and that's going to happen more and more and more. So I'm going to be controversial. I'm going to say I don't think there will be such a fundamental shift in home ownership in this country. I think it's so deeply ingrained into us that that is one of the golden ideals to aim for, mm. that actually I still think um, there will be a heavy proportion of those wanting to buy. It may take them longer, um, but I don't think um, it will be more living with parents for a lot longer yeah you know and everyone talks about generation rent but in terms of would we ever have a model where more people rent than own i'm not so sure i don't think it will be that fundamentally different in 2030 or, or maybe it'll be that we do actually live with our parents longer because we've obviously got an aging population and there's this there isn't enough care homes and retirement homes being delivered for the aging population that we have so that we'll end up sort of having more larger families under one roof but then this brings me back to well effectively we'll be talking about in terms of placemaking and um if we're thinking about well how can the housing market deliver that that sense of community and that hub for living it's actually looking at that bigger picture and 
it's finding schemes where you've got that new retirement living focus or retirement living village. So you've got that hub there for the older generation, but you've got decent pockets of new builds, family homes, um, you know, flats for the younger generation to live in, for example. Um, and I think the possibly the incentive generally is having those sorts of places where people can easily well different communities are integrated together but because what what you're rightly saying there georgie is the planning system was focused at one point on smaller ad hoc development mm. and the problem with small ad hoc developments they don't deliver infrastructure 10 units here 20 units there 30 units there they all just miss the infrastructure trigger point to make them viable mm. so um then all these bigger schemes came out um around us is the Tangmere uh, immersion schemes at, at Southbourne and then you've got the Miller Homes and and um Bovis or Vistry at um Minerva Heights and uh they've they've put a lot of infrastructure mm. in. so but they the bigger sites also have a delivery issue we're moving away from the housing market I know but it actually affects the housing market mm. because you get um, you'll get arguments between landowners. You'll get um, developers who've signed up to agreements which are just unworkable inside the consortium. So they just sit there going, oh, I can't make it work because I, I can't afford to pay for the land. So those big sites get held up. Infrastructure doesn't get upgraded quick enough, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So where am I going to? If I think, the, think local authorities are moving slightly away from these bigger schemes is that because they hold up the delivery of housing and there's a shortage, the first rule of economics, build cheap, sell high. But if you can't buy anything, you're just going to pay whatever you need to to get to, onto the, the property ladder. And that's what tends to drive housing values around here up, mm. is because there is a lack of supply. Mm. And this goes all the way back to our, um, our third podcast about planning. Mm. Have the planners got it right? A heavily under-resourced department in our areas. I've, they have just no one in there because it's they make more money outside. Mm. So if if you if you struggle with delivery on the bigger schemes, do you then have to go back to smaller schemes? And if you go back to smaller schemes, does the infrastructure fall away and you don't have that place making community? So I think wrapping up, I think we're all on board in terms of you know delivering new bill sales in twenty thirty. I think we're still suggesting there is going to be a buoyant housing market yeah, i mean definitely. at the moment we, we have seen a slowdown with with the pause in kind of financial incentives but i think it's um yes financial incentives are going to be important the government and the political agenda is always going to drive that but i think what will also be important in 2030 um are the end users agendas in terms of sustainability and environmental incentives and the the green conscious generation coming through um and also i think possibly the economic situation and attitudes towards whether people want to live in rented accommodation or if they still genuinely want to be on the housing ladder so you summed that up very well well thank you very much <laughs> But yeah, um, Steve, Grace, once again, thank you so much for your time. It's um, It's been a blast. Thank, thank you, you very much. Thank you.